Hi, everybody. Welcome to Speculate. This is episode 298. And today we are talking about the GM turn or the faction turn and kind of broad, more broadly GM prep. The kind of the three of us in back channels will sometimes get on one another topic and the idea of faction turn and GM turn came up in discussion. And I think each of us have a slightly different set of experiences with this overall idea as like a a manifestation or an extension of GM prep. So it seemed like a fun thing to talk about and we wanted to share it with all of you to do a little bit of table setting. The first system that I know of to talk about a faction turn specifically is Kevin Crawford's Stars Without Numbers from 2010. I've also heard people reference Greg Stoltz's game Rain as something that has some systems like that. And I think depending on how you're thinking about it, you can probably go back much farther. Maybe you look at like the earliest versions of the D&D setting Birthright. I think the, the thing that's interesting here is the notion of more structured or systematized GM work, whether that is something that is audience or group facing, whether it's like, okay, this is a GM turn that we're recording for our show, or if it is, okay, now because of the cycle of play, the players have done something and now the GM has specific systems for figuring out what the rest of the world does, like the faction turn, um, as is detailed in something like Blades in the Dark. We could also maybe include some discussions of things like fronts from Apocalypse World or Dungeon World. And so there's a few different manifestations of these, and I think they have some stuff in common with one another and maybe some lessons that we can generalize for kind of broader play, not just for GMs, but for players who are interested in the different ways that narratives and mechanical systems operate in TTRPGs. I'd love to start by throwing to Brandon, who I know is participating in a faction turn system in a current show. So Brandon, you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Elder County, Tennessee? Yes, I would love to talk about this. So I was invited by Brian Baker of uh, the Rumor It Happened podcast to participate in the faction turn for their latest RPG actual play, Elder County, Tennessee, which is using the Urban Shadows system, um, the second edition system in particular, which is already a lot of fun. Urban Shadows is very interesting. I'm very excited to be able to do the thing in the first place. But in particular, Brian asked me and a handful of other people if we wanted to participate in the Fatland turn. And I remember going, wait, how do we do that again? Isn't that for the GM to do? But they had this very rad idea, essentially, that because the Fatland turn is essentially the GM making decisions on behalf of uh, multiple unnamed NPCs, what if instead we gave the agency of those NPCs to individual players and asked them to essentially role-play that experience, essentially making it a secondary story to the main story. And I thought that was really neat, not only because it gives me the opportunity to be in their universe as, for instance, one of the factions that I am controlling in the faction game is um, the local labor union that is also populated almost majority of werewolves, but... I think that it's really fun to like take what is essentially the tool that the game offers the GM to widen the world building of the space and give that put that in the hands of individual players who 
now have the same kind of freedom as the actual PCs of the game, but that their immediate engagement is what are the decisions that I am making that will make the universe wider as a result? Because all of the decisions that the factions make in- immediately bleed into what are the new story hooks that you can now offer PCs. And being able to trust that to another player who can essentially now decide whether they want to just unleash chaos in the narrative with the potential of making cool stuff for the PCs to have to deal with. Or to have like this deliberate kind of process through which you can try to establish what value you also see as essentially kind of a kind of player in this universe is really cool i like the idea of being able to trust that with other players because it means that there is now a level of larger trust taking place in this space that the gm is not solely responsible to the universe there are other people who are also making what are essentially unique decisions and not just the GM going, this is exactly what I want for these characters. And I'm just hoping that the dice give me the opportunity for it to happen. You're asking other people to create those circumstances for your players, which perhaps even a larger trust than the players having the GM that the game is already going to be the game that they want. So like being trusted with that opportunity is actually really neat for me and I think that the experience has been really rewarding. I've already done one faction turn with them so far and we're due for uh, another recording very soon but of the shenanigans that I've already participated in, I'm very excited to see that continue. I'm very excited to hear what players have done with these characters that I've made between then and now. Like, I made like a fairy MLM Oh, don't know where I just decided, you know, it would suck if fairies came to this place and decided we're going to sell goop. And then the very first thing that that faction did was have inter-community infighting. And the GM literally told us during that session, yeah, this guy is going to come to the PCs and ask if they can help him kill his sister. And I want to know whether that succeeded or failed, because all of the answers to that question are immediately engaging to me. So yeah, I think that this is a lot of fun. I kind of want to see more people take advantage of those kinds of opportunities. I want to see what a played faction turn in the same style um, for games like Blades would turn out, because it's like, like this is this is what I'm into now. Like, give these to players all the time now. Yeah, Brian, can you talk a little bit about like? any of the specific moves from Urban Shadows that are your, that you found especially interesting in the faction turn? So Urban Shadows in particular, one of the things that I think is really neat is that most of those faction, faction moves are in relation to another community in this space. So almost all of the actions that you're taking are in relation to either gaining more power, gaining more resources, or making sure that you don't lose any of the power or resources that you already have. One of the things that I thought was particularly interesting is that there is a move that allows you to essentially goad another faction, like essentially to to challenge someone who might be potentially bigger than you into making a terrible mistake that allows you to gain ground over them, which is particularly engaging. Again, one of the factions that I'm controlling in this game is a union made up of werewolves that another faction had run afoul of. And I took advantage of that 
exact goading move essentially to provoke them into confessing to us that they think that we're werewolves but can't prove it and took advantage of the fact that they couldn't prove it to essentially humiliate them uh, heavily. And that was a lot of fun and very like deeply engaging in part because like in one would assume in the faction turn that the goal is to manipulate the way the world reacts to the players. And of course that's still happening because those players are members of communities that will fall in and out of favor with any of these factions for all kinds of other reasons. But knowing that they're also engaging with each other very deeply and that that engagement will create opportunities for the PCs to potentially find inroads with a certain community or find themselves suddenly on the outs of a community without having ever known what they did to offend them is really cool and inspiring because it means that you're making those decisions as a world and not as pawns that are deliberately acting against the player. I listened to the like the faction turns on uh, episodes of, of Elder County Tennessee and was was delighted by this a return of this notion of seeing both sides of the play because like for uh, Splendor and Shadow, I recorded my GM prep, but those were largely like, I, I recorded it offline. I wasn't interacting with people live, but even then I found that talking through my GM prep was helpful because talking things through is really useful for me in how I organize my thoughts. And I've seen from other shows like Friends of the Table back in Counterweight ha- did a faction turn where that was that that brought in the other players that weren't in the main PC party. And it makes me think about trying to do a broadcast faction turn for the Court of Blades game. If I can like bring on one or another guests, whether that is somebody who is consistently there for the faction game or if each time there's just somebody else that I can have like on camera talking things through with, because I've seen that in actual plays, Court of Blades game, they brought on one of the players who was also one of the co-designers to talk things through, or sorry, the, the designer was GMing and brought one of the players on who was also like the host of the channel. And then the Stream of Blood team did a four or five gang Blades in the Dark campaign where several gangs were active in the same shared setting and then had like the, I think two different GMs rotating through who was doing faction turn and bringing people on. So that idea is really fun. And I love that notion of getting the macro and micro view of a story. And so it's really fun to see very specific systems for it in something like Stars Without Number or Urban Shadows. And then the like Forge in the Dark version is a little bit, a little bit of out of remove, a little bit more um, universalized in terms of like a clock is a clock versus the PBTA style moves that are like tend to be like really, really focused. But in terms of prep, I would love to hear from Greg how you manage prep and how you think about prep in terms of what it does for you and how it feeds into 
doing actual play shows like for your your Twitch or any thoughts that you have about this this stuff since you of the three of us have the most experience, I think, both GMing and with TTRPGs in general. Mike's being nice. That's a way of saying I'm older than everybody else. The uh, <laughs> uh yeah, um just one quick note about the faction thing that really interests me is and you actually said it right there towards the end, Mike, was about the idea of having these other players, having multiple gangs in the same setting in Blades in the Dark how cinematic and television oriented this is, right? Where you go over and you can see the preparations of, you know, the other guys that are going to be the rivals for your main protagonists or whatever. I'm going to use a ridiculous example because it always cracks me up just from when I was a child. The Great Muppet Caper has a case where both groups of Muppets, I told you it was ridiculous, groups of Muppets and the actual competent thieves are both preparing for their own heist of the same museum at the same time or the same building at the same time. But the thing is that, so the thieves are doing all this stuff like, you know, laser sight goggles, red dot, and you go over the Muppets, they're like clown shoes, you know, red, like all the stuff that you would expect Muppets to do for these things. And what's funny about it is that it sets off different expectations and provides this sense that this is the version that each group would think is the thing to do for them, right? So you are really invested in the characterizations of each my not ridiculous example of this would be that there are a number of actual play shows. There was a show that was done by Grimjack on Twitch of uh, Highlander, in which you had individual characters playing out their own experience of having a duel, right? And then eventually, some of them won against their, in this case, GM-played NPCs, some of them didn't, but they kind of whittled it down until they were eventually, as is the case with Highlander in the world, facing each other to see who won overall. It was very, very effective. Also, I happen to like duet play sometimes, so that was that was also really cool. But that has a sort of similar vibe to this. And I love the idea of the faction turn, and I would love to see... I was just thinking about a faction turn with guest stars for the Court of Blades game that we played, uh, or the, the Court of Blades game that we're going to play, and I was thinking about even a faction turn for, like, Rebel Crown with different guest stars. I've said, you know, I know that game, it's already over, but still, it would, it would have been cool to see. As far as the GM prep question more broadly, I think one of the things that's interesting as I'm listening to you is I am increasingly conscious now because essentially all of my games now are played in front of a live audience. That obviously was not always the case when I got started. I was just playing with friends and around my table, right? When I was 13, 14, 15, you know, back in the day, and then all the way up until really about 11, 12 years ago when I started getting into more of the live broadcast thing. So one of the things that I need to think about as I'm prepping is what will be a surprise for the audience in terms of story beat? And I think there are two ways to go about it. One is to let your audience into the experience of here's what the players are going to face. And that I've seen done in many effective ways with a lot of the GM prep sessions that you can see, some of which Mike has already referred to, or the faction turn, which Brandon's talked about, where the thing I was thinking about, the one you said, Brandon, about the they were going to go ask the players to murder their sister. And so the, and the GM just tells you straight out, like, here is what's going to happen for the players. So that provides a really, really interesting, almost theatrical duality for the audience that's listening or watching, because it means that the audience knows something which the players don't. And there's a pleasure that comes in that for the audience, and also a sense of, in certain cases, horror 
there can be a, a, a sense of inevitability developed where you know what's happening and the characters don't. In Shakespeare, this is used in Othello, right, to beautiful effect. Iago tells you before it happens what he is planning to do to Othello. He does not tell you why, which is a very fascinating thing I could get into and I won't because this isn't a show about drama, but the idea of what he's going to do to Othello before it happens. So the audience is in on that and can do nothing to stop it from happening to Othello. Othello. And that means that you have a sense of impending doom that's sort of built in. In the actual play space, that kind of thing would be interesting to do if you wanted to play with that effect. But I typically have not done that only because I wanted to provide the same sort of dun dun dun, you know, for the audience as I do for the players. So it's just a different mode, but both of them are sort of, you know, equally interesting in that effect. But listening to listening to both of you talk, it has made me start thinking about what it would be like to have other, you know, other people involved in that. I would also say that having different voices, just literally different voices, is also super useful if you're trying to build scale, right? A GM is always expected to be able to provide this sense that there's a huge world just beyond the curtain that you can't see, and you just get elements of that world sort of flowing into it. When I GM Espergenesis, for example, I am trying to make people aware in references to the Crucibles and the Silrain Arc and the homeworld of the Volna and the homeworld of the Kesh, and like I'm trying to give them this sense that if we took the time and if we had the time, we could see tens of thousands of different worlds, and you know, so I'm trying to replicate that through little inferences, through discoveries of artifacts, through little moments that's, that are that seem like, that are often I think dismissed as kind of like fluff, and I think are actually fundamental to the way that we construct the world. So I'm always trying to do that, but I'm one person, and no matter the level of experience that I possess, I am not all of these different voices, and having those different voices come in is itself, I think, really interesting to give people the sense of that kind of scope or scale. So it's interesting. I started by talking about Highlander, which is just very intimate one-on-one, -on -one, and then we have this other side of the equation, which is scope or scale. When I'm thinking about GM prep, though, one thing which this is very useful for, specifically thinking about the faction turn, is it does give me a sense of different ways to play that character, different ways to play that character so that even if I myself can't bring in, as Mike talked about, a guest star, you know, or the equivalent, or as Brandon said, bringing in people just to do a faction turn, I can at least get a sense of how they played it, which may have a very different affect and sort of a different representation than I would be able to bring. Because I have a toolbox, right? GMs have toolbox of characters that they can bring to the fore. And a lot of them work out to be tropes, the dwarven blacksmith, and which often have kind of a strongly Scottish accent, which is pulled directly from my days of debating and world championships and listening to Mr. Speaker, sir, you know, that kind of thing. That, that, that You just need to get into that voice and you're right there with the dwarven blacksmith or things like that. I have that toolkit, but it's necessarily limited by my own experience. And so having other people play these things and even just getting a sense of how they might play them is helpful. I do want to bring up one potential drawback to this, which I just want people to be aware of, which is there is something to be said for the idea that the players are always the focal point. And I like the idea, Brandon, of having everything go back to players. I agree that that's, that's a really good idea. But there is a way in which a group of players can play off of a coherently represented world. And the flip side of I cannot be all people 
is since I am one person, it means that I will have a particular style which players may theoretically gel with and which an audience may gel with. So it's possible that if one is not careful, you could have a sort of more incoherent effect where you just have a bunch of people coming in and you start losing a sense of who are all these people. Last night I was playing on my Twitch channel uh, Triangle Strategy, a computer role-playing game from Square Enix, and it's a lot of fun. But in the first 45 minutes, and I'm I'm an epic fantasy guy, right? But they must have brought in 20 different, you know, the duchy of this who's related to the kingdom of this and the freehold of the other with the five people. And I was like, like dude. I came into that stream I <laughs> like an hour and a half in and the game was still introducing you to people that you had already heard of by name. I just uh, was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Uh, there was also a lot of the, as you know, Bob problem. But anyway, the mm -hmm. point being that that's a lot and it can sort of at a certain point feel overwhelming and can kind of break immersion a bit because people are, don't even know exactly what's happening. But I think that even as I say that, I think that's a relatively easy con or drawback to address. And I think the other benefits of having other voices is definitely a part of that. There is also an issue, by the way, of feeling equally comfortable slash safe with the people that you bring in. So it's important to be able to vet these people and know, and I don't just mean safety in terms of actual safety tools the way we mean it, but do they understand the world and they won't break it? You know, So when you come in, are these people understanding the parameters of the world that's been set for them and not making sort of references or commentary that's outside of that space that wouldn't make sense and which you as the GM, because you know the world so well, would not have made that same you know, mistake or tonal shift. So that's just a matter of vetting your NPC guest stars, right? The same way that you would vet your own players. But in general, I think this is a really, really cool idea that I have heard more and more about. Yeah, I, I love the idea of having this separate faction turn. I'd also point out just on the surprise point, and then I'll, then I'll be done with my part of this. The surprise part can also be a surprise if the audience doesn't know these are going to be guest stars. If you just bring this in and all of a sudden you're like, today we're doing this, they're like, oh, oh, what, really? And these other people come in as guest stars, just as we have that same pleasure by seeing a very familiar television show and then a guest star shows up and you're like, oh, wow, it's that person, you know, who's playing this role. That also has a really cool effect and it gives you the sense that you don't know what to expect in a good way, that things are always changing up in a good way for the show. So a lot of a lot of really interesting things that come out of this idea of doing a faction turn slash series of guest star appearances. Um, yeah. Now I'm thinking about spinoffs. You could even right. do spinoffs too. Like if it goes super well, they could go in that direction. Anyway, there's Absolutely. a lot of places to go. Yeah, and I think to your, uh, the concern that you raised about like distracting incoherence, I think there, there's also the question from the GM or storyteller or stage manager's perspective, how much is the faction, the faction turn work another layer of play? And how much is it you as the stage director, storyteller, bringing in collaborators or co-conspirators? Sure. Yep to where you can um, you can delegate some narrative authority, but you're still kind of really um, intentionally maintaining and conducting the work there. And I think either of those are valid approaches that are gonna have upsides and downsides. The conductor approach, you maintain more control, but you're not necessarily able to give as much freedom and you are asking 
something different of those guests versus the faction turn as a layer of play where the other faction players are players and they are given that type of freedom. Yeah, and if you allow those players, if that's the structure of the game, you allow those players to go in their own directions, then you can just roll with it. You know, then that that means the faction turn may substantially change the direction of the story. But, you know, since we talk a lot about GMs as storytellers, if you have an overall vision for where you want the story to kind of head or the sort of beats you'd like to hit, this could, if you give full freedom, kind of move in a very different direction. But that's really just an issue of the of the of a typical game session writ large, right? That no story ever survives contact with a player, right? The players will change things around and move things in different directions. I think we had quite a you know living experience of that with the strange friends and case of the cindered seal, where um, things ended up in a very different place. I suspect than Brandon, you know, might have imagined it would uh, when when he began things. But that itself had a great pleasure in it because then you just kind of roll with the punches. So yeah, it's very much dependent on the game that you play, but I think it's neat either way. And again, I like the idea of stuff that broadens the scope, which I think this tends to do. So so for me, I think ultimately the thing that is important to remember when it comes to these things is the story comes first. And that means, especially with the Fatland game stuff, those things are supposed to deliberately feed back into giving the players cool things to fall back on. I think there is a kind of freedom and a kind of beautiful engagement in engaging with the Fatland game by still considering yourself free as a player to make the decisions that you think are interesting. But those decisions should still be interesting to the PCs because ultimately it's still their individual story. There are characters in my Fatland that I didn't name when I had them conduct, when I had them individually do things because they don't matter ultimately. The action that they're conducting matters because it matters right. to the PC who they're going to interact with later. Yep. And that's not like a part of that I love be having control over, but it's not my business. It's supposed to be that PC's business when they get to do the thing. And I think that that, I think. Ultimately, no matter what technique you're using, the thing that matters ut uh, utmost is oh, how is this decision going to ensure that this individual PC or this group of players overall are having the most rewarding narrative experience that they can get? Because otherwise, you're having a fashion game where people are just having their own fun, and it just happens to affect the world. And that's not necessarily a bad thing either. Sometimes the world is just chaos, and you have to deal with the fact that the world is just chaos. But if you know that your GM, your stage manager, has an intention for the story, even if it's not concrete, but you know that they have touchstones that they're aiming for, I think you have a responsibility, no matter how you're in, how else you might be engaging with that process, to ensure that you're fulfilling that end goal for the work because the end goal should ultimately be serving the players as best as possible in the process of telling their story they're not here to witness you be cool you're here to witness them be cool which by the way one quick note that also provides create we talk about creativity from constraints that also provides fascinating ideas for those players in the sense of how am i going to get to point b 
how does my character develop in such a way that point B becomes the end end goal, but I can develop it and sort of move in that direction. So that, again, can provide another one. So none of these, I think it's important to emphasize for listeners that none of these are superior, right? They're all just different options and having multiple different ways of doing it. And I think you should try as a GM to try these different things, all of them, you know, to be able to get, if you can, if, if it's possible for you to do so, because it gives you a chance to really broaden uh, the way the world hits you and the players. And also that you should try all of these at least once so you know which one is yeah, exactly. working for you yep. in the way that you want your stories to go and how you can tweak those things and manipulate those variables in a way that allows you to tell the best possible story for you and your players. Yeah, something I was thinking about both in this discussion and in the previous recommendation show is that TTRPGs are reaching the point where designers are able to more and more clearly talk about and make specific intentional choices about aspects of play rather than just continuing received tradition. So intentional choices about scope and scale, intentional choices about how and where to share narrative authority and things like that. So we could probably go on for quite some time because these are very interesting topics. If you have experience working in faction turns or some thoughts, or you want to talk with us about this, we would love to hear from you um, on Twitter at SF, or you can come to the Patreon and comment on the kind of cross post for this feed. We'd love to hear from you. And as a reminder, episodes like this are also available in the patron exclusive feed. We wanted to kind of experiment with showing off this type of discussion in the main feed. But there is more uh, if you are already a patron at the appropriate levels. Your support is what lets us make the show. And to make more of the show, we or we would love to make more of the show. If you're able to support us even at um, $1 a month, it means a lot. It gets you like easy access to some bonus materials. There's going to be bonus materials both for Fractal Spire, which is ongoing, and for the Court of Blades game. And we are excited to bring you more of all of this. So until then, I'm Mike. I'm Greg. I'm Brandon. And we will talk to you next time. Take care. The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band, The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com. Hi, everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life? Can I recommend arvaneleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign, which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players, and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there 
and over here. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and many other fine podcast providers. Thanks, and we'll see you over there.